0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Pulse, a podcast dedicated to examining the business of healthcare. I'm Lori Cox. And on today's episode, I've got my friend Pam Brooks with me. Um, we are going to be discussing the split shared. So around July or August of this year, I did a webinar on split shared. And we actually had a lot of questions come in from that webinar, and so I felt like it would be beneficial to put together a podcast to answer those questions. So I brought Pam on to help us with that. Welcome, Pam. Hey, Lori. Thanks so
1: much for inviting me.
0: I'm so glad we're here doing this together. Um, Can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? I sure can. I've been in healthcare over 30 years.
1: Um, I currently am the manager of regulatory billing audit for Maine Health, which is a health system with 10 hospitals in, um, Maine and New Hampshire. Um, the biggest health system in Northern New England.
0: Awesome well thank you all right so let's dive right in Um, one of the first questions that we got was on critical care in regards to split shared now there's a lot of critical care changes we're hearing Um, there were some with the time that CMS is changing in the proposed rule Um, we still obviously have to wait for the final rule to come out but the question that came in said for critical care services As of 2022, they can be split shared, but do we have to? The MD and MPP are in the same group and specialty, but are seeing the patient for two different reasons, different times of the day, different plan of care and assessment and so on. And this is kind of a question that's come in, not just about critical care, but about all the split shared services. So you did some research. What did you find about that?
1: Yeah, I did, Laurie. Um, What I learned is that if critical care is performed by more than one provider in the same group setting, the services must be billed as split shared, regardless of the reason, the time of day, and the plan of care. Um, I actually reached out to my local MAC, which is uh, National Government Services. That's um, New England and, and New York, as well as a couple other states, I think it, out in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, this question was posed, and they answered that effective 1-1-2022... Critical care services may be performed on a split shared basis by physician and NPP members of the same group. They went on to say that time spent by each practitioner individually may be aggregated toward critical care time and the total time spent supports the billed services. They indicated that each provider must individually document his or her contribution to the critical care service and the services to be billed by the provider who performed and documented the greater component of the critical care time. Episodes of continuing or subsequent critical care represented by CPT code 99292 may be performed and billed by other group members, including NPPs. What I found with NGS, and actually most of the MACs, is when they say may, they actually mean you should. (laughs) Right. So yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Lori. What we can't do is bill under the MD if his or her participation isn't supported by time spent exclusively with the patient.
0: Exactly. And I think that question comes up a lot. We'll probably have more as we go on down through these regarding the time components and the documentation components. And I agree with you definitely that when the MACs use the word may, it's more of a you really should type of situation, right? A little bit of ambiguity there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the next question that came in was um, all care must be medically necessary and we know that that's always been our overarching criteria, it has to be medically necessary, including split shared. Um, however how we care for patients has changed it's a team approach and I believe CMS recognizes this I disagree that the documentation must show why the physician needs to see the patient when the APP saw them earlier so they're basically saying why does the do- p- provider need to document or do they have to document that they have to see the patient when the mid-level already saw them so what did you find out about that
1: Sure, and that was a great question. Um, In the note, and we're gonna talk a little bit later about how those notes need to be documented, but within the note, there must be a chief complaint or a reason for the visit. We need to know why the, the providers are in there. But in a split shared circumstance, the provider's subsequent work needs to be clinically appropriate. And the note should recognize that the provider is performing the subsequent visit. So his or her participation needs to be clear in that note. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to restate the chief complaint as long as it is in there somewhere.
0: Right. We can we should be able, like you said, easily infer the reasoning for the provider being there. Um, Not that just that they're just there for no reason, right? There has to be a reason for them to be there. And it, it all goes back to if it's not documented, then it's not found or it's not done, right? So, okay. Um, The next question came in, does AAPC support the APP documenting the entire note, identifying the physician's participation, and then the physician adds his or her attestation to services provided? In other words, the physician does not document any part of the key components, but may attest to performing the exam or maybe the MDM?
1: Um, The first thing I wanted to mention is that um, AAPC is only going to support the concepts clarified by regulatory guidance. I Mm -hmm. try not to give opinions, and I know you feel the same way, Lori. Mm -hmm. Um, I I dislike the word attestation in this particular um, circumstance because the attestation by itself is not enough to support the shared visit. There has to be documentation in the note, regardless of who's doing the documentation to show involvement. By the servicing provider as well as the other provider um, to support the substantive component or time spent. So um, her question was Is it an attestation enough? And no, it really isn't. The note has to indicate the work done by the billing provider um, and that it is substantive and that it indicates that there was participation by that provider.
0: And I agree with you. And that was a question I think like the next three questions on our list all have to do with that same that same thing. What does the physician actually need to document? Well the guidelines may not st- be specific they say that the physician has to perform a substantive portion but if they perform it then they need to document it correct otherwise it's not considered to be really done so um, we had several several questions come in on that kind of looking down through some of them here Um, can the attending indicate they performed the MDM in its entirety but refer to the APP documentation for the MDM
1: Yeah, and that just goes back to my last comment. The attestation by itself is not enough to support the shared visit. There has to be documentation that indicates involvement by the servicing provider to support the substantive component or time spent. The doc can go back and refer to previous documentation to support their assessment plan, but the documentation has to be clear that the work was performed by the provider. Mm -hmm. Now, in the final rule, um, there was a lot of discussion about this because these were these questions were being fired at them by providers <laughs> who asking the very same questions that our coders are asking. Yeah. And they they did indicate that any individual who's authorized under Medicare to furnish and bill for their services, whether or not they're in a teaching role. So, you know, teaching physicians have their attestations It's a little bit different from that. And you do not have to be in a teaching hospital in order to do the split shared visits. They may review and verify, such as sign and date, the medical record for services that they built rather than redocument notes in the medical record. However, they, they went on to say it might be helpful for each individual to document their own participation in the record in order to determine the substantive time. Mm-hmm. They stated uh, in the final rule that the record has to identify the two individuals who performed the services and that the individual who performed the substantive portion must sign and date the medical record in order that it be billed under that provider. They continue to believe, they said in their um, final statements, uh, that we should only require the reporting clinician to review and verify medical records documentation, the services provided by themselves and other individuals, because the reporting clinician assumes responsibility for those services by signing off on the medical record they indicated that it would be helpful for each practitioner to directly document their own work but in their final rule they believed that they should leave it to the discretion of the individual practitioners and the groups to decide how time will be tracked mm-hmm. I looked further because I thought that was a little ambiguous <laughs> um, and so I went out to two or three max um The final rule, the the bottom line of the final rule uh, indicates that they believe the documentation in the medical records needs to identify the two individual um, practitioners who split or shared the visit. And then after they considered all of the public comments, they are finalizing it that the documentation in the medical record must identify the two individual practitioners who performed the visit. The individual who performed the substantive portion must sign and date the record. They did not say they had to, to personally document it. And they're revising the federal codes, subsection 415.140 to include those requirements. So it is in 42 CFR, People wanna look it up. However, my NAC, again, NGS, <laughs> indicated in an FAQ session, each provider should document his or her contribution to the service with both notes indicating the service was performed in conjunction with each other. So my Mac went out on a limb here and they took this interpretation uh, from the, the Federal Code to mean that they want separate notes. So my organization in Maine Health has required physicians to do, to do separate notes. Interesting. Yeah novitas mirrors the same documentation as the final rule so they're not uh they're not their only in- indication is that the the billing pro- f- provider who does the substantive portion has to sign and date the medical record
0: mhm that's interesting that your organization, so do they do completely two separate notes, like the M- APP does one and then the MD does one?
1: That's exactly right.
0: And that makes it so much easier, you know, if you ever were to try to fight it, um, you know, from an appeal standpoint and from an auditing standpoint. Um, so yeah. that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. It's a little bit of an administrative nightmare. <laughs> I <but> bet. <laughs> Um, and it wasn't a real popular um, direction, but uh, when when our MAC says we must do what we must do, then we right. do it.
0: Yeah. So I know that leads to a couple more questions on down. Um, they were talking about if it's a split shared visit, would both providers be documenting all three components? So are both providers having to document history exam and medical decision-making?
1: According to the federal rule in CMS and some of the MACs, no, they don't. So it could, the note could potentially be documented by the nurse practitioner as long as he or she indicates in that note the medically appropriate um, history exam for those outpatient visits and then the two or three key components for the um, inpatient and observation visits and indicates in her note that she um, documents what part the physician actually was present for and performed.
0: Yes, and I agree with that. Again, it's back to, it should be very clear. Yes, maybe the guidelines are a little gray and they're leaving it up to us to interpret it. But when I interpret things like this, I want it to be very clear because I don't ever wanna have to guess So I would like to see the provider did this and then he states everything that he did and this is the substantive portion and this is why we're billing it under the provider because as we all know, APPs get paid less, right? Or the revenue is less. So I I wanna see it in black and white that this is what the provider did, this is what the mid-level did and there's no question.
1: I wouldn't disagree that that's best practice because then it, the burden of proof is on the nurse practitioner to indicate, well, I did this part and the doctor did this part. So it's you know it's burdensome for the nurse practitioner or the PA or the you know the other advanced practice um, individual. Um, one of the reasons why we were glad actually that NGS came forward with that documentation so we didn't have to guess how this was supposed to be um, um, provided in the medical record
0: that's interesting oh good um i think that's best practice in my opinion as well and i believe in the webinar i kind of alerted or you know led to that and i think that's why all these questions were coming in like where is this coming from well i mean we've got to look at the best practice and we've got to look at it from a black and white standpoint this is how we want to do it this is how we're going to take it to mean in our organization and then put that piece into play
1: yeah. And the other piece of that is if the, the MD does the substantive portion and his name is on the claim, he's responsible for everything that another provider has documented, mm-hmm. even if it's a scribe. So, um, you know, I think that it, it's really uh, I would recommend that providers do their own documentation, if only to make sure that it's exactly what they want it to say.
0: I agree with that because um, so often we forget that this documentation is a legal document, mm-hmm. you know, and should you have to go to court, that provider is going to have to go to court. And I, I mean, you just kind of picture worst case scenario, right? A jury is up there and the provider's like, well, I didn't do this documentation. I mean, what's going to happen? <laughs> the jury's going to be like, well, you know, sorry, but you didn't do. You didn't see the patient. So even though that is a worst case scenario, documentation is a legal document. And that's why I feel like if the provider did do a little bit of history and some exam and a bunch of MDM, that's what they should document. They shouldn't just say, well, I'm not going to document it because it's not needed. Kind of like with the 2021 guidelines and the 2023 guidelines, we have providers saying, you know, well, we don't need history and exam anymore. That's not true. (laughs) We still need it. So. Interesting. Okay, so we are going to take a quick break before we get on to part two. We've got um, some ED questions and some place of service questions. Um, So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. How are you safeguarding against errors that put your organization at risk? At AAPC Services, we leverage our deep expertise in over 80 medical specialties. We create tailored solutions that drive accuracy, profitability, and peace of mind for healthcare organizations of every size. And when it comes to the accuracy you depend on, we leave nothing to chance. Your project will undergo our multi-tier quality review process, ensuring you meet your goals, and we maintain our enterprise-wide 98% accuracy rate. Learn more at aapc.com slash business. All right, now we're back with Pam Brooks. We've been talking about split shared guidelines. We've had some interesting discussions so far. a lot of the questions that came in during the webinar had to do with place of service and I think a couple of the things and I will be completely honest I think a couple of the things that were said that I said maybe were a little misleading in the way that I said them um, so we're going to try to clarify a little bit of this here and one of the biggest questions was ED and I think when I was putting the webinar together I wasn't really thinking about ED yet um, I was more focused on Uh, you know the hospital visits and such Um, so we did some research or pam did some research and what did you find about split shared in the er
1: yeah lori um ed um, is allowed ed visits are allowed as split shared but they're a little bit different um from the outpatient um services as well as the um, hospital some of the hospital services um, first of all no time is assigned to the ED and I don't think that's even going to happen for fiscal year 2020 2023 for calendar year 2023 okay um, so we would not be able to use time as the substantive portion for ED visits. Um, And also key components are expected to be um, three out of three for emergency room visits. So the substantive portion uh, might be two out of three. Um, or might be um, medical decision making only if it indicates that that is the bulk of the work being done. So the guidelines for ED are not as robust as some of the other ones, but um, ED visits are eligible for split shared by an MD and an APP.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Um, Yeah, because I don't think I realized that during the webinar. So again, we got a lot of questions on that and I'm glad we were able to clarify um, the ED portion um okay another some of the questions that came in had to do with modifier the modifier the f s which is so hard to say i mean it's like frank susan or you know f and s are very hard letters Um, but a couple questions that came in on those some individuals believe that modifier f s is only required on the app claims not the md so what did you find out about that
1: Yeah, that modifier FS is required on all claims that are split shared, regardless of the billing provider.
0: Right. Um, So, and it needs to be appended on either whether it gets billed under the APP or it does split shared under the MD. We need to get that FS on there to show basically that two providers did see the patient on the same day and we're using both of their documentations, right, to support the service, basically. That's correct. Okay, good. Um, the next biggest question was on Place of Service 19. Um, and I think 22 was also in there. So what, there were some questions that came in about Place of Service 19 and Place of Service 22. So what did you find out about that?
1: Yeah, Place of Service 19 uh, represents a provider-based practice or provider-based clinic, however you want to call it. um, That is actually a um, practice setting that is part of a hospital. So it is a facility um, and would be included under the um, split shared billing rules, just as is Place of Service 22, which is your standard outpatient hospital.
0: Okay, good. Good to know and it's going to be interesting to see I know um, another webinar that we did is on the 2023 guidelines and we had a lot of questions about the whole place of service issues and how is that going to change for 2023. So it's kind of it's really interesting to see how this is all going to flow as we get used to the new guidelines for the new hospital you know care services and things like that so. Interesting.
1: We're never bored.
0: (laughs) Right? If you're bored in this job, you're doing something wrong, that's for sure. Um, There was a couple questions about specialties, and I know that this has come up quite a bit. Um, When a mid-level is working with a provider, there's there's some differences, I think, in between what the AMA says and what CMS says. So you kind of dug into that a little bit from a CMS side, I think.
1: I did. And CMS is known for their murkiness. And this is one of those areas where they are murky. They indicate that an MD or an APP who are from the same group may perform split shared visits together. Every time I get the ear of uh, somebody who works for CMS or MAC, I always ask that question, what do you mean by a group? And at this point in time, they have not clarified that well enough to satisfy me anyway. So what I generally say is that most nurse practitioners are family nurse practitioners, other than certified nurse midwives or certified registered nurse anesthetists, most are considered family practice, but they are eligible for billing split shared services if they are within the same group of specialists. So a lot of nurse practitioners, for example, work with a hospitalist team, or work with a cardiology group. Um, And if they're working in the practice or in the clinic with that particular group, then we consider them to be part of that group until CMS tells us otherwise.
0: And I do a lot of the same thing. And then I kind of fall back on the AMA's guidelines where they say, you know, when a mid-level is working with a provider, they're considered to be the same specialty. But then we also have to look at, well, what do the payers think? Like Blue Cross or Humana or, you know, the commercial plans. Do they follow more long CMS guidelines or do they follow more AMA guidelines? So we have all of this um, working pieces here that we have to fit together to determine um. How to build these claims, but basically, I feel like if if a mid level is working with a provider and they're both seeing the patient for the same reason, then to me they're kind of in the same specialty. You know what I mean? But getting that in writing from CMS to be clear, it's that's just not there.
1: Yeah, and the only the only other way I can think of the nurse practitioner as being in a different specialty is that because nurse practitioners are a specialty all their own, they have their own um, taxonomy code that's different from family practice, that's different from internal medicine. Um, But that's, I don't think that that's the same context in which we need to think about these split shared visits and how they are performed by a group of providers who are working together um under the same specialty. So I I don't buy that as uh um a different group um for this particular scenario. Mm-hmm.
0: And I wonder if they ever will will really clarify that for us or if we're just gonna have to guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, because nurse practitioners don't Specialize other than the what I mentioned before, the nurse midwives or or sometimes psychiatric nurse nurse practitioners. But for the most part, they they, you don't have a cardiology nurse practitioner or a um, rheumatology nurse practitioner. They're generally family nurse practitioners working in those Those practices and gaining the the, that that specialty expertise.
0: Right, interesting. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Well, that helps a little bit. I think again, it's still a question that's out there that's going to remain until they finally decide to put it in writing somewhere. If they ever do that. Um, there was a couple of questions that came in, like, can you use split shared for hospital discharge services? I think we decided that yes, uh, but it's just, again, the doctor that does the substantive time, right? Cause discharge services are on time. Right. That's correct. Okay. Yep. And then there was another question that came in about split shares for telehealth. And we decided no, because this is facility setting. So place of service like O2 or 10, that's not really considered facility, correct? So we can't do split shared there.
1: That's my understanding. I've seen nothing uh, in any of the literature that I've read that has indicated that split shared can be used for telehealth services.
0: Okay. I agree with that as well. Um, And then a lot of questions on time, and I can see, again, this being something that's going to come up over and over with with this, going into the 2022 guidelines and doing everything on MDM or time. Um, So a couple of these questions, um, and this may not just pertain to split shared, but good overall, because of the prolonged care codes requiring, obviously, they're, they're built on time, Should we make the doctors use start and stop times?
1: This is another one of those questions where Max have weighed in on this. Um, Neither the AMA nor CMS have indicated that they require start and stop times. Um, So because I'm allergic to provider administrative burden I you know it's been not been um, a requirement that we've asked our providers to do mm-hmm. um, but there are some MACs particularly for um, time-based codes that have indicated that that's best practice um, but that's MAC specific and not CMS specific
0: mm-hmm. I, I agree I'm curious to see what's going to happen um another question was how do we educate our physicians to track their time if we so desire to have them do that
1: um yeah what we um do in and I'm in an epic shop so there's a lot of you know laterality with regards to those templates we use smart phrases and most electric electronic health records have that 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 uh, ability for a provider to either click a radio button or indicate a phrase to drop that particular time in there. Um, So we work with our IT folks to to try to automate this Mm -hmm. so that it's uh, actually a requirement before they can actually get out of that screen to um, choose that code. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're dealing with providers that are having to dictate notes or don't have an electronic health record, it's a little bit different story. The explanation is if you're going to be using time in order to select your your level of service, um, this might come back as an issue if you don't give us that information. Mm-hmm. Your notes incomplete without that information.
0: Especially if you're gonna use those prolonged care codes. Exactly.
1: Uh, exactly. Um you're losing money if there if the time isn't in there. Because you've to the code to the lowest, lower code without it.
0: And you know, currently um, we have the whole counseling and coordination of care where we have this statement, you have to say that greater than 50% of your time was spent in counseling and coordination of care about, you know, what, what did they talk to them about? So is that going to continue or how is that going to work for split shared anyway?
1: Um, For uh, 2023, the proposed rule is talking about just giving time um, statements. And so that their, um The provider's time has to exceed half of what the statement is in the CPT code description. And that counseling and coordination of care in three more months is going to go away. Um, the only um, code sets that are not going to rely on time um, are the emergency department, because what happened is that the AMA and I believe CMS as well, Determined that it wasn't appropriate to level those codes based on time because the ED, um, the type of care done in the ED is not necessarily uh, time typical time.
0: Right. Okay, that's good information to know. Mm-hmm. Um, what, there was another question that came in, and this one, I will tell you, when I read it, it kind of scared me a little bit, Um, but the the question was, our hospitalists are saying to just add one minute to whatever time the mid-level enters, <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh,
1: yeah, so that yeah. was a little scary. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, it doesn't surprise me to read something like that. Um, So I think what they're saying is, you know, the nurse practitioner says I spent 23 minutes and they're saying, well, I spent 24 minutes. So I think (laughs) that's that's their method. Um, I think the only thing I would say to auditors who are speaking to these providers is just make sure that you're documenting the amount of time that you actually spent. This happened to me early in my career, where I had a provider who, whose every visit was, you know, fifty or sixty minutes in counseling and coordination of care, such that she worked twenty six hours a day. <laughs> and so when I pointed that out to her, she was like, "Oh, that's not going to work. Uh, you're exactly right." So just to just to use caution um, yeah. when they're doing that.
0: I agree. Um, so we'll be anxious to see what comes around as we get deeper into the 2023, and when the final rule comes out um, here soon, hopefully sooner than rather than later.
1: Yeah, a couple um, of months, I hope.
0: Yep, me too, because I know we're all anxiously awaiting. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, before I let you go, what I mean, what is your what is your pulse on split shared? I mean, what is the biggest? that you see out there and you see going forward that auditors should be aware of?
1: Well, I think that there's a lot more opportunity for auditors as these types of services are moving away from those key components and those bullet countings that we're also familiar with. Um, I think it's going to expand the role of the auditor and educator. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot more opportunity uh, for auditing and education, and maybe less so for, um, you know, coders who were were um, coding based on those key components. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's pretty exciting, um, yeah. and I'm looking forward to um, even more changes that are make a little a little bit more sense, actually a lot more sense in terms of provider documentation to support these services.
0: I agree. I'm really curious to see what what the future holds for us. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, and we will see you on the next episode of The Pulse. At AAPC Services, we help healthcare organizations like yours maximize efficiency, mitigate risk, and prevent revenue loss. Our credentialed experts provide services for insurance audit appeals, Coding and billing accuracy, accounts receivable audits, corporate integrity audits, and much more. Find out how we can help your organization overcome challenges and meet its goals. Learn more at aapc.com business.